0: your life and i'll just take a moment and say wow am i glad to be home today it seems like i've been gone forever i very seldom will ever i don't miss many sundays every once in a while i have to but i you will never see me miss two back to back but i got myself into a situation where i agreed to do a conference some years ago somebody asked me to do a conference in january in chicago friend that i've known for many years and their advertising was out and All of this. And then after that, Benny Matthews from India and Alpha Ministries that are very dear to us. Benny's my spiritual son. He literally calls me dad. And um, he asked me to go. They were celebrating the 50th anniversary of their ministry and ordaining a number of pastors and also graduating graduates from Bible college. And he asked me to be there to honor his dad. The Asian Indian culture and in Asia, throughout Asia, honor is extremely important. And if you don't show honor, it is extremely painful and hurtful to the people who look to you for leadership. And they asked me to be their guest of honor there for this, this particular event. And I realized I had a Sunday that I'd already committed to and advertisement was out on it, but I couldn't say no because I would never be able to face them again since 50th anniversaries come so rarely. And so I went, but it's good to be home. And and we had an incredible time. I took, uh, my grandson Andrew was with me, and, and then Herr Voyer from uh, Germany was there also, Stuttgart, Germany, one of my spiritual sons, and you've met him before. And, and then also Jerry Hartless, one of the businessmen in the church who was fast becoming a spiritual son to me. He was with us, and we just had an incredible time. The need in India is so great. If I could say anything about the need there with its masses of people it would be that it's like trying to put out a house fire with a water pistol. I mean, the need is that enormous. But thank you for being here today. And, and I want to speak today again from the subject, our theme this year is Elevate Your Life, Ephesians 2, 6 through 7. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Let me paraphrase. God is elevating your life. Not temporarily, but permanently. That's what it means to be seated. It means to be reigning. God is elevating you to be permanently elevated in the heavenly realms in Christ in order or because that in the coming ages, he wants to do something. He wants to show the incomparable riches of his grace. Don't you love that phrase? incomparable riches of grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Let me paraphrase that. God literally wants to make you a living advertisement of his grace. Elevate you in such a way that you become a walking testimonial for how good God is. I wonder if there's anybody in the building that would say, I think I can go along with that. Amen. Amen. Luke 9, 1 through 2, when Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure disease. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Mark eleven twenty seven 27 through 28, they arrived again in Jerusalem. And while Jesus was walking in the temple courts, the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the elders came to him. By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you the authority to do this? Ephesians talks about elevation. One of the ways that you experience elevation in your life is when God gives you spiritual authority. He gave his disciples authority in Luke chapter 9. And Jesus has demonstrated such a life of elevation that the priests and the teachers of the law come to him in the third passage I read in Luke and asked him the question, point blank, who gave you this authority? They recognized he had authority and they wanted to know where it came from. Father, I pray that today you will speak a word to us that will give us, again, insight that is powerful and revelational, that we might embrace and that we might live by, that we too as others already have become, that we too might live to be advertisements of your goodness, inspiring others to look for you because of of the blessing they see in us. Elevate us, teach us how. Let this be the year that it happens in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. I pray that this year will be the year that God makes manifest every promise that He has ever spoken over your life. That in this year, you will live to see the fulfillment of every prophetic word that remains to be fulfilled. That your destiny will unfold before you. And that you will experience the incredible exhilaration of knowing what it's like to experience divine favor in an open heaven. For that to happen... Is an incredible thing. Is it something God wants? I think so. He's restoring all things to the church. Acts three and twenty-one says this is a time of the restitution of all things. Peter says this after that incredible miracle of the lame man who was laid daily at the beautiful gate next to the, at the temple. After this man has been healed, Peter says this. The, this crowd has massed. Because everybody going to and from the temple has seen this man for years and knows his plight. And when they see this man leaping and praising God and running into the temple, not just walking, but in such a state of exuberance that he's like a child, carried away and beside himself with emotion, trust me, this got around the city fast. Don't you love it when God does stuff that even the unsaved want to talk about? God knows how to get people's attention. And when the crowd shows up, Peter tells them that this is the time of the restitution of all things. The word restitution means the act of restoring to its original state. That original state doesn't refer to you and the job you first had or making you young after you're now 46 or 73 or 89. It's talking about restoring man back to his original state before he failed and sinned and by grace and from grace lost divine favor. God wants to equip us with kingdom strategies that facilitate our elevation, the restitution of the things that we lost when our ancestral father, Adam, sinned. He wants to give us strategies that work and that succeed. So many of our strategies throughout the years have been strategies developed by men. And some have worked okay and some not so okay. And, and sometimes we, we've seen some results and sometimes we've not seen any. And even some strategies have blown up in our faces and backfired, haven't they? Amen. One of the men of the church sent me a joke. Or to, uh, yeah, sent it to me and, and I loved it. I'll share it with you was an old farmer raising watermelons. And he was having a problem. He was doing pretty good until the neighborhood boys from the community started breaking into the watermelon patch at night. And he'd wake up in the morning, there'd be busted watermelons and half-eaten watermelons, watermelon rinds all over the place. He knew this couldn't last. So he thought about it for a while, and this was his strategy. He put a sign up, painted a sign and put it up and said, "Warning." There is one watermelon in this field that has been injected with cyanide poison. Boys came that night to go into the watermelon patch, and they saw the sign, and his strategy worked. It only created bigger problems than he imagined, because the next morning he got up and there was one sign, there were two. And the boys had put up a sign of their, of their own that said, there are now two watermelons in this field that have been injected with cyanide. So he fixed one problem and created another one. Some of our earthly strategies have been like that. I want to speak today upon heaven's strategy for elevation. Starting today, and you won't want to miss the next several Sundays, as I address this, I want to speak on the 12 dimensions of spiritual authority. I've always been intrigued by Psalms 103 and verse 7. The psalmist said he made known his ways to Moses, but his deeds to the children of Israel. Israel got to see the acts of God, but they didn't understand why he did them. They saw the Red Sea part, Jordan's rivers roll back, men in the desert. They saw all of that. They saw the miracles in Egypt, but what they did not understand was what was really going on behind this. Moses, on the other hand, was brought closer to God and made to understand the ways of God or the reasons why God was doing things the way that He was. The ways of God refer to the principles that our unchanging God bases all of His actions upon. Your advancement and mine is contingent upon understanding the ways of God. We call these kingdom principles. Another way to describe them is kingdom keys. Because if we align ourselves with these kingdom keys or principles... The automatic result is that we facilitate the fulfillment of God's promise over our lives. If we stand in opposition to them, we hinder the promise of God from being fulfilled. You say, do you mean I can actually play a participatory role in helping to bring about God's prophetic word over my life and helping make it become manifest? Yes. In Genesis 18 and 19, God said this concerning Abraham, for I know him. That he will command his children and his household after him and they shall keep, watch it now, the way of the Lord. There it is again. Moses saw God's ways. To do justice and judgment. And notice what it says next. That the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. What he's saying is, is because Abraham keeps my ways or understands my kingdom principles and aligns himself with those. He is positioning himself in such a manner that I have no choice. Don't don't object to doing it, but now he's made it easy for me. I have no choice but to let the prophetic word I've spoken over his life come to pass. Clearly by aligning ourselves with God and keeping his ways or kingdom keys or principles, we too position ourselves where God can manifest in our lives what he has wanted us to walk in and experience. One of the most important of God's ways, principles, keys, is understanding spiritual authority. What positions us particularly in the West to have difficulty with this is we think authority refers to an autocratic system of government, manipulation and control. It doesn't. Authority is not really a bad thing. Our culture, particularly in the United States and our history as a nation, has positioned us, as I said, to be a little less understanding of spiritual authority and a little more reticent to submit to it. I mean, after all, we told the greatest military and the empire in the world years ago, we're breaking away from you because of taxation without representation, and America, by strength and virtue of its people, being strong and unshakable, forged out a form of government that had never existed in the history of the world before called democracy. The thing about all of this is, is that because that is our worldview, we might miss out on this, if you don't know it, many places in the world, Authority is not considered to be a bad thing, it's a good thing. For example, the most highly respected office in the entire world is the office of our president. You may not agree with him on every issue. You might not even like him on some things. But around the world, that office is universally respected. Amen. Paul says to have respect for the higher authorities. And do you know that in other countries, leaders can do things that are immoral and wrong, and selfish, even evil. And because of those positions, people will still honor them and follow them to their own detriment. And we find that so very foreign. I one time preached in a city. I'm saying this with my wife here. This is years ago, my dear. And I was preaching in a city for someone that's actually been to this church years ago. If I were to call their name, some of you would remember. And they put me in a hotel downtown, And the city was rated at that time to be more dangerous than being in a live war zone. Crime had gotten that bad. And I arrived, and I wanted to go out and walk around. I had to speak that night. I didn't want to lay down. It was too early, and they were not going to come for, for me for a while. And I stepped to the door of the hotel, and when I did, the doorman, the security guard, actually stepped over in front of me like this. Now, I don't know what you would think if that happened to you. And he's looking at me, and he said, you can't go outside. And this American whatever it is inside of me wanted to know why I can't go outside. So he, I do a little step this way to go around him, and you know what he does? He steps right back in front of me again, and we do this little dance. And he sees that I'm nonplussed. And he said, oh, I'm sorry. He realizes then that I'm not from their area because my response to his statement is different than what it would have been for most of the people from, where, from the city in the country I was actually in. And he said, sir, this is one of the most dangerous cities in the world. He said, if you go outside, you're literally taking your life in your own hands and we have been instructed to not allow our guests to go outside unless they actually have armed security with them there are roving bands of thieves 20 30 at a time just you think it's a crowd just people just normal traffic walking down the sidewalks they will walk up around you completely enclose you pull out a gun or knife rob you may even kill you and leave you there on the sidewalk dead and walk away police won't know who did it well at that point i was real glad that he stepped in front of me and i hope my wife was too Amen. But I realized then that I had something in me that made it difficult for me to understand authority can be a good thing. And I got to thinking about that. And I realized that's a part of my culture. It wasn't just in me because of who I am. I'm no different than anybody else in this room. One of the most important of all of the things we can learn to deal with is spiritual authority. And we see this in every facet of, of nature and creation. There, and even in the spiritual dimension, the lion is the, quote, king of beast, signifying that it has ranking in the animal kingdom because other animals do not question its authority. There's ranking even in the natural order. As I mentioned, politics, there's ranking. You can be the president of any other country in the world when the President of the United States walks into the room, you realize that is an office that, that carries incredible authority in it. Paul even talks about authority in the spirit world. Jesus did. Jesus referred to Beelzebub as what? The prince of devils. Come on, you hear an amen? What's a prince? A prince is a position of authority, a ranking of authority that is over others of lesser ranking. Paul, in carrying this theme on in Ephesians 6 and 12, said we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, number one, against powers, number two, number three, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual wickedness, host of wickedness in the heavenly places. And you read that and you don't realize until you look it up in the Greek that he's actually talking about different rankings that the church. And we as believers must face as we experience elevation, that we must demonstrate authority over. In the Greek, principalities means a local magistrate, like Judge Parrott down the road at the Wallaceville Courthouse. Now, Judge Parrott's a wonderful man and a friend of this church. But you may not know this, but he doesn't have authority in Sugarland or Clear Lake. He doesn't have authority in the woodlands or Kashmir Gardens. You hear what I'm saying? Or in Humboldt. Powers in the Greek, which is the next phrase, refers to potentates, an altogether different word, which is a regional authority, like the mayors over this region, Judge Parrott's over this local community. Finally, it says rulers, which in the Greek means a prince, as Jesus described Satan, or Lord. And a prince is the ruler, a lord is the ruler of a kingdom. Three different levels of ranking that are described here. Spiritual authority is the important yet missing component from our efforts and attempts to establish God's kingdom in the earth. It isn't a lack of power. And through the years, I've heard so many sermons exhorting churches and believers, pray for more power, pray for more power, fast and pray for power. I've heard debates, heard discussions among saints, radio, TV sermons. And I won't tell you that's not even correct. The theology is incorrect. We already have the power. It's not a lack of power. It's a lack of authority. Let me explain it this way. Most of you came to church with automobiles that had enough power to do well above the posted 45 mile an hour speed limit out there. You had power. You just didn't have the authority to use it. And if you use it without getting authority, do not be surprised if you look in your rear view mirror and see those that have the authority coming to inform you that you don't have. Ephesians 3 and 20 says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Where's the power? It's already working in us. In fact, the NIV says the power that is at work already within us. It's already there. His power is already at work. It's not a a lack of power. I never will forget when I first saw this. Came to understand the difference between power and authority. Years ago when we only had one Sunday morning service instead of four, we decided to add a second service. And one of the men in the church noticed a problem with congestion. Brenda, you remember that out there on the the highway? And cars coming in and out. We've since added some other places to enter and exit the property, but back then we didn't have it. And he generously volunteered to put his security personnel out in the road directing traffic. Now, they had the uniform and they had a badge with the name of his company and they had a gun on their hip. They had power. You understand what I'm saying? But on that Sunday morning, we probably have law enforcement personnel in this service right now because we are men in this church. They will tell you that the concept that I'm about to describe is true. That Sunday morning, the very first Sunday morning that they were out there, guess what? The boys that had the real power showed up and said, you got the power, but you don't have the authority to be directing traffic in a Harris County highway, a road. And only when you wear the name we've got on our badge, oh, I'm talking better than you're preaching right now, than you're responding right now. Amen. Come on, help me out. Amen. He said, only whenever you have the authority do you have the right to stand out here. You've got the power. That gun's just as big as mine is, but you don't have the authority to use it, and I do. Mm, 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 mm. Spiritual authority is the legitimate right to make decisions that affect the church and to implement strategies for the purpose of fulfilling vision and to utilize the resources of the kingdom for their success. Spiritual authority is also the legitimate right to address resistance to the advancement of kingdom purposes and to address spiritual powers and to remove the opposition. What does that mean? Spiritual authority gives you the right to claim the resources of heaven to advance your destiny and kingdom purposes. You've got the power. You just don't have the authority to use it many times. On the other hand, Spiritual authority also not only gives you the right to address resources and call them into play. It gives you the right to look at the devil and say, get out of my way. Satan, the blood of Jesus is against you. It gives you the right to say in the name of Jesus, get out of my way, be gone. No weapon formed against me can prosper. Amen. And the devil has to say, yes, sir. Because he recognizes ranking. But if you don't have the ranking, he looks at you and laughs. There are seven reasons that we do not experience spiritual authority in our lives. By knowing why we do not possess it, we become empowered to know how we might obtain it. Once you learn why something isn't happening, you have been given insight into a means of correcting that problem. deficit Number one, the reason that so many times, though we have the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of us, but we haven't been able to call forth revival, resources, and the things necessary to manifest the purposes of the kingdom, nor have we had the authority to tell the devil, clear out of our cities, This is a demon-free zone right here. The reason we have not, there are seven reasons actually, and one of them is believers do not understand what spiritual authority means or what it can do for them if they possess it. And the old saying, you don't know what you don't know that you don't know really does apply. Because you cannot seek to walk in something that you do not even know exists it is difficult if not impossible to walk in what we do not even know is available to us and paul recognizes this talks about the extraordinary frustration and illogical thinking of believing that we can just sit back and wait for the world to be saved when in romans 10 and 15 he says how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed and how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? He's saying that they cannot be expected to come to God when they don't even know there's a God to come to. In India, where we were there, like I said, it's like putting out a house fire with a water pistol. 500,000 villages in India that have never heard of Jesus. 500,000 villages. The story I told you where Benny Matthews was on his way to one of these villages and his car broke down in an old farmer who looks like he's right out of Gandhi or something. White loincloth, turban on his head, white whiskers on his face and beard, sun bronze to the color almost of mahogany, comes up on an ox cart and stops and says, what's the problem? Benny says, the car's broken down. He said, hop on, I'll take you to my village and... We can see if we can find a call station. We don't have phones in our homes, but maybe you can find a call station. Benny hops on and Benny wants to use the opportunity to witness. So the old man asks him, what are you doing here, this part of India? And Benny says, we've come to preach about Jesus. And Benny seizes the opportunity and says, do you know Jesus? The old man strokes his beard and thinks about it and says, no, I don't think I've ever heard of him. What village does he live in? Boy, does that tell you the desperation of the world that needs God? You can't just sit back and expect people like that to come into the church because they cannot believe in him of whom they have not heard. Or oh, somebody in the building say amen. amen. Secondly, church people cannot believe in spiritual authority when they don't even know what it means. God's trying to give us an understanding that we can manifest his authority in our lives. Number two, the second reason that we do not walk in spiritual authority. Oh, we have the power. We're full of the Holy Spirit. But the right to exercise that power has not always been given to us and that's because, number two, we fail to recognize and be submitted to spiritual authority ourselves. Mm, Lord have mercy. Submitted? Huh, not me. Not me. In a million years, this flamboyant air of independence that rises up inside of us makes us think submission is a bad thing because we have defined authority in the wrong way, calling it autocratic leadership, manipulation and control. We don't recognize that there is actually a form of submission that is very good. Paul talks about husbands and wives be submitted to one another. Children be submitted to their parents. Amen. He talks about being submitted to the spiritual authorities within the church. Amen. Matthew 8, verse number 9, this incredible scripture where Jesus is approached by a Roman centurion, meaning that the man had 100 soldiers under him at his command. And he says, Master, my servant is homesick, and he doesn't even ask Jesus to go. And Jesus volunteers and says, I'll go heal him. And the man said, it's not necessary, Master. Because this is what he said, not that I am a man that has 100 others under me. He said, I was sent here by Rome. I am a man under authority myself. And because I'm under authority, I say to this one, go. And he goes. And to this one, come. And he comes. Do you know why we can't say to the enemy, go? And he leaves? Because we're not oftentimes under authority ourselves. You know why we can't say, come resources, come revival, come blessing, come healing, come cure for cancer and AIDS? It's because so many times we as believers are not under authority. And when Jesus heard that, he knew that the man was on to something that was extraordinarily revelatory. And he stopped and said, I haven't seen that kind of insight or faith in all of Israel. The man was literally saying, because I'm under authority, I recognize who you are in the ranking of heaven. Being under authority makes me recognize other rankings. Somebody in the building, I do feel my Holy Ghost working right now. I love that passage where Jesus walks up to a fig tree and curses it. And what's extraordinary is it's not even the season for figs yet. You get the idea, boy, he's kind of out of sorts today. Don't get in his way. Wonder who woke up on the wrong side of the bed this morning. You know, that kind of a deal. Jesus walks up looking for figs, doesn't find any, turns around and blasts that fig tree and says, I curse you and let no man eat fruit of you from this day forward. And then he walks off. And the disciples, they don't turn around. If they turned around, they would have seen the tree dying at that very minute. But they walk off with him and say, just say, don't get in his way now. If he wants two sugars in his coffee, be sure to give it to him. Amen. <laughs> in fact, put three in. <laughs> Four won't even hurt. <laughs> he needs to sweeten up and lighten up. Amen. He goes into the city, comes back the next day, leans against this blistered pole that is devoid of bark and life, stuck in the ground, planted like a fence post. Disciples who are slow on the uptake. Don't even notice. Jesus just keeps leaning against that post. And one of them said, wait a minute. Isn't that the tree he cursed yesterday? You can completely misunderstand that story. Why did he curse the fig tree? It wasn't because he was disappointed that there were no figs. He was teaching an object lesson. He already knew it was not the time of figs. It was because he was demonstrating That all things work together with authority. Watch this. He came as the second Adam, the first Adam in the garden. There were no seasons. Trees brought forth 12 months out of the year. Oh, I need a better amen than that. It wasn't until man went out of the garden after sinning that God said, I'm going to curse the ground and you'll have one season of harvest a year. Before man fell, every month was harvest. Jesus came to restore what the first Adam lost. Paul calls him the second Adam. So he walks up to a fig tree, stretches out his hand, pulls the leaves back, looking for figs. It wasn't the time of figs. But if I had been that fig tree, I would have squeezed until one or two fig popped out somewhere. You get my point? And the reason he cursed it was because it was out of alignment with spiritual authority. When you're out of alignment with spiritual authority, you lose your fruitfulness. Number one, we don't know what spiritual authority really means and what it can do for us. Number two, we fail to recognize and be submitted to it. Number three, Believers are not spiritually mature. In Galatians 4 verses 1 through 2, this is what Paul says. What am I saying is that as long, what I am saying is long as long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by the father. What he's saying is this boy's got the right name, he's got the right DNA, he's got the right hair color. He's got the right color of eyes. I mean, this is no doubt daddy's boy. And someday he's going to be the one signing everybody's check. But when he's four years old, he don't get to sign anything because he's not mature enough to handle it. And one reason our father has not given us spiritual authority is we have power that he's not giving us authority to use because we're living at a level that is not spiritually mature enough to make him feel we can be trusted with it. Oh, come on, somebody in the building, say hallelujah. Amen. Would you give your four-year-old child your checkbook? No. Not until he demonstrates the level of, a, of maturity necessary to be able to deal with that kind of authority. You give him your checkbook too soon, he's going to buy nothing but Lego sets or something. Yeah. Or a Playstation. I don't even know what they have out there now. The fourth reason is that, that we fail to walk in spiritual authority. As believers fail to be faithful as stewards with what God has given us. Luke nineteen sixteen 16-19. The story when the master is giving out the talents, the gifts, the pounds, the money. And he's going to come back and there's going to be a day of reckoning. What did you do with what I gave you? When the day of reckoning came, Jesus said, this is what happened. The the first came saying, Lord, your pound has gained 10. And he said to him, well, thou good... Servant, because you have been faithful in a very little, have thou authority over 10 cities? Whoa, that blows my mind. And the second came and said, your pound has gained five. And he tells this one to have authority over five cities. Why have we lost authority in our cities? It's because we have failed to be faithful with the stewardship responsibilities that God has entrusted us with. And if we can't be faithful in mammon, how is he going to trust us with real riches, with the riches of the kingdom? Somebody in the building, I'm talking to you right now. You need to understand that tithing is not about controlling your life. It's about God knowing, can I trust you with greater riches? And we get hung up on this little stuff. And are not faithful. The average believer now gives nine-tenths of one percent. That's one-tenth of a tithe. One-tenth of a tithe. And what has happened? At the same time that we have become so self-indulgent that we take what belongs to God and use it for ourselves, we have lost the ability to say to the lame man, rise and walk. We have lost the ability to say to cities, drug addiction, get out of our way. We have lost the ability to say to marriages on the rocks, in the name of Jesus, be healed. We have lost the ability to say to teenage boys and girls, you're not going to become pregnant when you're 13 years of age. You have a destiny that God has placed on your life. Amen. 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 I need somebody to shout amen. Before God can trust us with true wealth, he first looks to see how he managed the little things that he's given us. The fifth reason that there's a marked absence of spiritual authority in the church is a lack of hunger among believers for spiritual authority. On the Mount of Transfiguration, when Jesus came down, a father met Jesus and said, I brought my son who is afflicted by this demonic spirit that's trying to kill him in the water and in the fire. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not help my son. Can you please help me? Jesus cast the demon out of the boy. And later The disciples come to the Lord saying, why couldn't we do it? And Jesus' response was, this kind comes not out, but by prayer and fasting. Amen. We have misunderstood what fasting is all about in the church. Even prayer. We think we're twisting God's arm to do something he doesn't want to do. I'm going to fast and pray until I get a breakthrough. Look, you're not fasting and praying until you get a breakthrough. God already has spoken breakthrough over your life. You may fast and pray until you get positioned where he can release breakthrough, but you're not changing him. Here's the principle. You have to make this become hungry. And the problem is we're so full, there is a lack of hunger among us for things that have to do with spiritual matters. We become full with everything. I mean, it's Super Bowls today, right? I'm not even gonna ask you how many you're gonna watch it. Go ahead that, because if I ask you, most of you know I know that preacher you raise your hand, you you know. Uh uh-uh, uh, you can watch it, there's nothing wrong with it. Go ahead, enjoy. Amen. I'm not I'm not against organized sports at all. But the problem that I'm talking about is becoming so full with everything the world has to offer that you lose your hunger for the things of God. Now am I making any sense to you? And do you know what fasting is supposed to do? It's saying to this old flesh, I'm not giving in to you today. I'm going to deny you that you can no hunger for the things of God. You've heard me say before when I fly in on Saturdays like I did yesterday. I know I got something waiting for me at the house. I called my wife because we've been so busy and so much has been going on. And I told her, Jerry, don't worry about cooking for me. I'm doing the good husband thing. I know she's going to cook anyway, but i got to still say it. I mean, I'm buttering it all up. I can even go to McDonald's. Don't you worry about it, honey. I know you've been busy. And I know all the while I'm protesting for her not to do it. She's becoming that much more resolved. I'm going to take care of my man, you know. So I'm on, the, I'm on the airplane, and I know there's going to be something waiting for me at home. And they bring around their tray, and they're serving a meal two hours before landing. And they got, I don't know, stir-fried something or other. And they say, Mr. Hurd, would you like a bite to eat? And I say, no. And they said, are you sure we're having stir-fried? And, and I said, I'm quite. I'm quite sure. Because you may be having stir-fried Oriental whatever, but I can tell you, I got some chicken and sausage gumbo waiting at home if I know that lady I'm married to. I've got something better. Now, why am I going to eat stir-fried Oriental whatever with enough formaldehyde that if I die the next day, they won't even have to bury me? I mean, won't even have to embalm me when they bury me. Why am I going to waste my appetite On something like that. When I got something better at the house. And that's what fasting does. It focuses your attention. On something better. Amen. Number six. Another reason. That we fail to walk in spiritual authority. Is a lack of faith. Luke 8 and 25. He said to his disciples. Where is your faith? I don't even see it. Where is it? Other places he said, O ye of little. Say it out loud. What? You've got some, it's just not much. You know what that is really an indictment against? It's an indictment against two things. Their church attendance and their personal prayer and study habits. Because you know how you build faith? You don't build faith by praying for it. You don't build faith by fasting for it. You build faith only one way. Faith comes by hearing and that by a word from God. You cannot have faith when you're not in the house of God. Hear what I'm talking about. I'm going to say it again. Let me preach it a little bit louder and a little bit more clear. Your faith cannot grow if you do not have regular study and worship habits in your life. Amen. Can't. Weak faith. Finally, the seventh reason. That we experience a lack of spiritual authority in our lives is a general contentment with the status quo. That's different from spiritual hunger that I mentioned in point number five. A general contentment with the status quo usually is derived from an understanding that change m- requires adjustment, and adjustment produces discomfort. You got that? Change requires adjustment. Adjustment demands discomfort. And whenever you are faced with change, you have to ask yourself, do I want it bad enough that I'm willing to go through the adjustment and the pain and discomfort the adjustment is going to cause? Or to say it another way, if you are living in a shack where the roof leaks You hear what I'm telling you? And where there are creatures that shouldn't be in anybody's house. Running all over the place. And somebody offers you a mansion. You are still going to have to go through change that requires adjustment. That produces discomfort before you get settled in your new mansion. Or to say it another way, the refrigerator is just as heavy moving to the mansion as it was moving into the shack. You're going to still have to make some changes. And some changes are going to require adjustment. And that's going to produce discomfort. That big bad boy sitting over in the corner, that refrigerator, you're going to still have to move it out. And it didn't lose any weight just because you move into a mansion. And you need to know that one reason the church has been reticent to move into the realm of spiritual authority is we accept the, the status quo too readily. Okay, Sadah, Sada, whatever will be, will be. Amen. Well, this is what I mean by that. And understand where I'm coming from with this, ladies and gentlemen. Look at Israel. They were in slavery. And God brings them to the brink of the promised land. They have watched the Red Sea part. They have watched manna appear on the ground. Water has gushed from a rock. Oh my God, can you imagine this? And they send 12 spies into the promised land and 10 of them bring back a bad report that there are giants in that land. You know how long it took for them to get from Egypt to the promised land? Do you have any idea? 40 years? No. The first time they made it was 30 days after they saw the Red Sea port. You didn't know that, did you? 30 days after seeing the Red Sea port, they come to Jordan for the first time. And they have the opportunity then to cross over. But you know what they did? They heard the report of the spies. And this is what they said. Change requires adjustment. And adjustment means discomfort. And though I was a slave... I'd rather go back to Egypt than have to face these giants. Did you know that's in the Bible? Look at it in Numbers 14, 1 through 4. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept. Can you see them crying on the verge of entering the promised land? All of the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. And here he comes. Watch it. Status quo. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt and be slaves, to experience spiritual hunger, to experience and live in spiritual authority. You're gonna have to make up your mind that I'm not accepting the status quo anymore. Come on, somebody in the building shout hallelujah. Or to say it another day, I've been in ministry a while now and one of the things I've learned through the years is that people like to complain about things but that doesn't mean they're willing to go through the adjustment required to change the thing they're complaining about. Uh. Uh-uh, I don't like this job and this boss. Well, why don't you go get another one? Because I don't want to go through the pain of adjustment. That's why. You hear what I'm talking about? And I'm speaking today over this house that this year we are moving into spiritual authority in our lives and in this city. In the name of Jesus, we are calling forth the resources of heaven to be opened over us. And we're saying to the enemy, back up and get out of our way. The blood of Jesus is against you stand with me across the building we are not going to be denied and so this year I speak this word over you that 2013 is your year to manifest every promise God has ever made over your life 2013 2013 you will see with your eyes what God has only let you see in dreams and in visions. It's coming. it's coming. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. You are going to experience elevation. We will not live deprived and beneath our privilege any longer. We will not accept the status quo. We will not say to the devil, Go! Go! And he just laughs at us. And we're no longer going to say to resources, come. And they remain locked into vaults that we cannot break through and enter into. But we're going to speak to resources in the name of Jesus and they're coming. We're going to speak to opposition and say in the name of Jesus, get out of our way. We have a mandate. We have a destiny. We are the body of Christ in the earth. I believe that we're on the verge of the restoration of spiritual authority that's what's coming next and we're going to say to cancer be healed in jesus name we're going to say to hiv be healed in jesus name we're going to walk into hospitals and say in the name of jesus come out of those beds and sick people are going to get up You might not know this, but there are already incredible miracles that are happening in the church around the world where there is an understanding that the authority is not a bad thing. There have been incredible breakthroughs. I want you to come and stand with me here because I want to pray with you before I go. If you don't know God, why don't you invite Him to be the Lord of your life? Submit yourself to Him. Come on, everybody. Balcony, I want to pray for you. Why don't you repent right now and say, Father, forgive me. I plead the blood of Jesus over my own heart and life. I'm not going to live dominated by sin anymore. Not when you sent your Son to die for me in my place. Right now, just say it. Move forward all the way there. For so many people coming down the aisles, and I I want you to get close enough that I promise I'm not going to spit on you, but I want to pray for you and I want you to to feel me when I pray. You know what I mean? I want you to feel my heart for God to elevate you. Would you lift your hands with me? Father, I call forth the destinies that are in every person in this building today. And I speak to every father that you will rise up and be the priest to your home that God called you to be. I speak to every wife that you will be in submission to the spiritual authority in your house and to the husband that he will live the kind of a life that will make it easy for a woman to be in submission to. Not in the bad sense of being his, his floor mat, but in the sense of them being mutually submitted in their respective offices before God. Because some of us have tried being submitted and people have used us and hurt us and wounded us. I speak to children in this place that you will become everything that God spoke over your life that you will not only be anointed but that there will be an increase in anointing multi-generationally from your parents to you. I speak over this house.